Well, this morning we come to the end of the letter to the Galatian church. We come to the end, and, and Paul has, has written to encourage the church, he, to strengthen the church, in some cases to admonish the church, and in order for the church to be the one, the one whom the Lord intends. And what the Lord intended for the church then is the same call, the same mission, the same aspiration to be Christ-like, that's still the goal for the church today. And so Paul, Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, we'll go through 18 this morning, just a, a few verses, and Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. What, what in the world does that even mean? Well, again, Paul, is, he's, he's tying the letter up. This is a statement which simply addresses Paul as the author of the letter. Paul may have dictated part of the letter to a secretary or a scribe and then hand-wrote the ending. Some of the writers I've read have said that professional scribes in that day, you know, they used this certain kind of tight writing, this tight script, and Paul's saying, I'm writing with large letters. I mean, Paul was an educated man, but maybe he didn't have handwriting to the level of a scribe. I, I don't know. I'm an educated man, but my handwriting looks horrible. Some of you commented on my handwriting, so you never know. It could be the same kind of thing. But, but even though Paul has dictated portions of this letter, this doesn't dispute Paul's authorship. It doesn't dispute the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. And, and so the Lord, through His Spirit, speaking to these writers... Of, of God's holy word, sometimes it's direct to pen, sometimes it's, it's, it's the ear, the heart, to, to mouth, to dictation, whatever, it, whatever the format. And, and statements of authentication like this, 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 this was a common occurrence in this period. And so there you have it. Verse 12, Paul says, All who want to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Again, what, 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 all, does, what all does he mean here? Well, th this topic of circumcision hasn't shown up in our study of Paul in these last few chapters, but, but as we've seen, circumcision is still a very big talking point for the early Christian converts from the Jewish faith. Uh, I told you when we began this, this study that, that the church there to whom this letter has been written, it's not unlike the church of the 21st century. You've got your long-timers of the faith, and you have your newcomers to the faith. And, and the long-timers of the Christian faith, they, a lot of them came out of the Jewish background where they were circumcised, and so for them, they still have this holdout that everyone needs to be circumcised like they were. And that has been a source of kind of a hot spot, kind of a source of division between the long timers and the new timers. I know we've talked in the past, sometimes in our church setting in, in the in 21st centuries, you've had issues such as worship styles or what have you that can be a, a division between long-timers of the church 
and, and new folks in the church. Paul addresses this, and he's talking about the, the long-timers, and he says they feel that any convert must first come through this mosaic tradition of the law. And, and again, sometimes it's like, well, if I had to do that, you had to do that too. And Paul is, he refers to these who, are, who have undergone circumcision simply for safety purposes. Let me, I'll explain that. And the easier day-to-day movement in cultural life in that time. You see, Jews were tolerated under Roman law in those days. And if Christians, and see, Christianity to, to the Romans, to some of those Romans, it's seen as simply an offshoot, not really separate and distinct. But if Christians were seen as something different than Judaism, which it is, as we know, there might be no immunity for this new faith group. So there's some concern about the legality. And so these ones to whom Paul is referring, they don't really, really care about following the Mosaic Law. They, they're not really, in, really interested even in becoming more like Moses, more like the Jewish faith. They simply want to inflate the numbers of the ranks. So Paul says in 14, he says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That really is kind of the whole apex of these last few verses. There's a lot we can see here. May it never be for me to boast, Paul says. May I never brag about anything except in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, our, reminding the church then and the church today of who is supposed to be in charge of them all, in charge of us all. It's the Lord. And Paul boasts in nothing except for Jesus and his cross. And and those two, they're they're really inseparable at, at one level. Through the cross of Jesus, Paul has been crucified to the world. Now, Paul is certainly alive and is writing or dictating this letter. So Paul is not physically dead, but he's crucified to the world. Crucified, killed in a horrible, painful manner. See, all Paul was, what what he's saying is all that Paul was is dead to the world. And Paul, as we saw in, in Acts, prior to his conversion to Christianity, Paul was kind of a big deal back when he was known as Saul. Paul tells us early in this letter, it's Galatians chapters 1, Paul says, For you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He's all about being a good, faithful Pharisee. Even empowered by the the head priests to act as a bounty hunter to bring these followers of this newfangled way of faith called the way 
to haul them off in chains to, to Jerusalem and Damascus. What all was Paul? Well, Paul's resume, which he will share later in the, in the letter to the Philippian church, I mean, he's actually making the same argument then about boasting only in Jesus. He says, uh, I, I, could, I could myself boast, this is Philippians 3 if you want to write this down, in Philippians 3, verse 4, Paul says, Although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh in my accomplishments, I could boast about all that I've done. You ever been around, you ever been around someone who boasts in all that he or she has done? I've been around that. He says, If anyone else thinks he's confident in the flesh and his accomplishments, <laughs> I have all the more reason. That's what Paul's saying. I was circumcised the eighth day. Okay, as a baby, he was circumcised then. Well, see that? You know, he's off, for, off on the right start. His parents had him off and running to have him circumcised the eighth day. That's a big deal. And then we see in Philippians chapter 3 that, that he's circumcised of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. You know, he's being trained to be a Pharisee, trained to be a really probably a, at some point to be a, one of those priests. He's, he's got the pedigree down. He's got all the right tools. He's got all the right stuff. But Paul sets all of that aside to follow Jesus. Sets it all aside. And, and now because of following Jesus, the world no longer values Paul. He's dead to the world. And the world would just as soon finish him off. And in fact, as we've seen, they've already tried more than one time. Not, not only has Paul been crucified to the world... The world has been crucified to Paul. The world is not dead. The world's still ongoing. But the world and, and all of its rewards and its delights and desires, that has been crucified and killed to the appetite of Paul. All the world presented in terms of all that it could offer Paul with its rewards and delights and desires, all that it was and all that, it, that, it, that it, it is or would ever be is dead to Paul because of Paul now following Jesus. He's made the trade. Paul has trusted in the value of the trade of the cross. The value of the trade. And because of following Jesus, Paul no longer values these rewards and delights and desires that the world would hold. And Paul goes on, he says, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. Circumcision doesn't save a soul. Circumcision doesn't make one righteous. The lack of circumcision doesn't save one soul. But becoming a new creation in Christ has more value than any social ties, any professional ties, associations. Becoming a new creation in Christ is bigger than all of that. And then Paul says in 16, And all who will follow this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Mm. 
and upon the Israel of God. Peace and mercy be upon all who would follow the Lord in obedient discipleship. Follow the rule of the cross. Peace and mercy be upon all who would follow the Lord in obedient discipleship. God granted peace and God extended mercy to all of those who have come to salvation knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah. Mm. The one prophesied from the very beginning of the Old Testament has come to save the Lord's people from their sins. And all who would follow words of the Lord which point to new life in Christ. All who would follow peace and mercy be upon them. And what happens, we know that the gospel cuts across societal lines. The Gentiles, the Jews, the gospel preached to kings and preached to commoners. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, the gospel is to be presented to everyone. What happens? All who trust in the Lord of the Word become the now Israel of God. There's a lot there, isn't there? Peace and mercy which come from knowing Jesus. We who have trusted in what Jesus has done obtain peace, obtain mercy, and we are the now Israel of God. And then Paul says in 17, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. These marks of Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, following Paul's meeting of the resurrected Jesus there on the Damascus Road, when Paul was trying to haul off these new Christians in chains, Jesus meets him up close and personal. You know the story. Paul is blinded. Paul is called to serve Jesus. Well, right after this happens, the Lord tells a disciple in Damascus. And the man's name is Ananias. He, he tells Ananias, he says, Go to the street called Straight. You're going to find a man named Saul. That's Paul's old name. You'll find a man named Saul, and you're to go and you're to lay hands on him so that he can regain his sight. So Ananias, he has some concerns about this. Understandably, he says, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man Saul, about how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem, and, and here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias, he has legitimate reason to give Paul's. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord says to Ananias, He says, Go, for Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine. And he's going to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. 
So the Lord, he responds to Ananias' concerns. And the Lord says three things about the man called Saul, whom we know as Paul, the writer of this letter to the Galatians. This is what the Lord says. He is a chosen instrument of mine. And he will bear, he will preach the na- my name to, to kings and commoners and Jews and Gentiles, to everybody. And also, the Lord says this. He says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer on behalf of me. And sure enough, as, as we would see later, as we studied in Acts, Paul dealt with real and severe persecution while on these missionary journeys. He, he was pursued, he was chased by Jewish assailants from town to town. Paul dealt with real trouble. Beatings and stonings and constant murder attempts. Paul dealt with conflict that left literal scars. I had an acquaintance in seminary back in the 1990s. From across the world, he loves Jesus, and he loves the church, and he loves doing ministry, and and he came from the other side of the world to come to seminary to learn about Jesus and learn how to be a, a pastor and a church planner. And on his face, he has physical scarring because of persecution. But he could not wait to graduate because he couldn't wait to go back home to preach the gospel. I tell younger ministers, if you're in ministry, (laughs) you'll have some trouble. You'll have some stories to tell. Believe you me, you'll you'll have some stories to tell after just a few years. I've been in local church ministry for 30 years. All the stories I could tell. Stories of betrayal and disappointment. Uh, Sometimes the lives of ministers, along with their entire families, are are upended for the most ungodly and selfish of reasons. Sometimes the lives of ministers and their families are impacted by the most ungodly and selfish of people. Sometimes it happens just because good people, they get all called up and and they're misled. And the ones who pay the price are ministers and their families. However, most of us in ministry on this side of the physical world, we don't deal with the same high stakes as did this man of whom I told you, or Paul. We don't deal with those same high stakes, not yet. I don't worry about myself or members of my family being arrested or accosted or abused or murdered for the gospel here in our land, not yet. There may come a day when we go to jail for preaching against things which have now become fashionable and trendy. However, 
you and I, we, we have anonymous brothers and sisters in the gospel, in the faith, across the world who this morning are preaching the gospel in dangerous, hostile environments, and, and some will not live into the evening. And it's a good reminder for those of us who, for one reason or another, we, maybe we've hit a wall and... and we try to compare it to these believers and disciples who've, who will end up giving Jesus ultimately their all. But we will, if we follow close enough to Jesus, we will all, to some degree, we will bear the marks of Jesus. We've seen that those who are called, those who are part of the body of Christ, the called, the chosen, can expect to suffer. Paul said a moment ago in, in verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not keep, even keep the law themselves. And, and these ones, as we've seen, they don't really care about following the Mosaic law. They, they're not really interested in becoming more entrenched in the Jewish faith. They just don't want to raise the ire of the Jewish loyalists or, or the Roman leaders or the law. Keep their heads down. Out of sight. Kind of like folks who simply want to, quote-unquote, follow Jesus to stay out of hell. There's no, there's no desire for spiritual growth or, or no, no desire for the things of God or interest in Jesus really being in charge. But if we won't allow Jesus to be the Lord that he's, he's called to be Lord, if we don't allow him to be Lord, he won't be Savior. And Paul says in, in 16, he says, that for all who follow under the standard, the banner of Jesus' lordship, peace and mercy will be upon them. Peace and mercy. Peace will be restored. Paul says in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, having been cleared, my title is clean and, and I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I'm clear, I'm innocent. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than having now been justified, again, being made clean, being made innocent by his blood, Paul says we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. So peace, peace will be restored. And and then mercy will be extended as we, as we see in the Gospels. We've, we spent a year and a half in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Do you remember that? <laughs> in the same way that thousands cried for Jesus to, to have mercy on them and, and their households, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And diseases healed and sight restored to, to, to blind eyes. The woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. 
these marks of Jesus. Peace and mercy. Think about all Jesus suffered, his holy life. His holy body broken, his holy blood spilled. Trading, trading his life for yours and mine. The value of the trade. What comes to mind when you and I hear the word trade? What comes to mind? Well, there's something that I want of value, and, and am I willing to swap or exchange something of a similar or lesser value to me in order to obtain an item that someone else has which is of a greater value to me? And, and, and so is what I, want, what I have what this person wants because I, I want what this person has, and I'm hoping he or she's going to want what I've got and so we can make the, make the trade. Uh, <laughs> The boys, the boys growing up, they, they weren't ones to trade stuff that they had growing up. Uh, but, I, but I traded matchbox cars and traded comic books and traded rock and roll albums and cassette tapes and, and some trades that I, that I made. I really came out on top. And, and then <laughs> looking back, some of my trades were poor decisions. Uh, maybe you all can relate to some of that. But ultimately, it, it all comes down to the value of the trade. The value of a trade. We, we see how the Lord values us. How do we value the Lord? Paul ends the letter... This morning in verse 18, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.